2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Grindhouse. I'm Leah Diana, and today with my boyfriend and co-host,
1: Sean Tacher
2: we will be winding back the reel to 1979. The crew of a commercial spacecraft encounters a deadly life form after investigating an unknown transmission in Alien. Let's get into it.
3: Some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. We're only halfway there. Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. Why? She's programmed to do that, should certain conditions arise. They have. Like what? Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon that uh, repeats at intervals of 12 seconds. SOS? I don't know. Humor? Unknown. Can't see a
0: goddamn
3: thing. Ash, can you see this? I've never seen anything like it. Looks like your chances, but you have my sympathies.
1: Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers. Tell all your grave robbing friends I want matter of the city now!
3: The nightmare of insane murder from the depths of hell. Oh, the of death.
2: You know, it has come to my realization that this might be one of the best cosmic horror movies ever to grace our eyeballs.
1: I definitely agree with that.
2: Now why do you think that?
1: I mean personally, I think it's it's just it's such a simple concept and it kind of defines exactly why. People are so afraid of space because we have no earthly way of knowing what exists out there beyond our planet, beyond our solar system.
2: True. I mean, we've gone to the moon. We have the Mars rover.
1: Depending on who you are, you might not believe that.
2: And then we've sent plenty of probes and satellites out. We've gotten pictures of space out. Probes that we sent 30, 40 years ago were just getting photos back. And they're gorgeous and they're beautiful. And they're terrifying. Yeah. You never will ever understand exactly what's out there in our lifetime. We won't. We'll never understand.
1: And, like, I I think I've mentioned it on here before, but, like, space is one of the the two things I fear the most in life.
2: Heights and space.
1: No, space and the ocean.
2: Oh, dark water. Open water.
1: Because in both instances, you have no idea what could exist. Either out in the darkness of space or in the crushing unfathomable, unfathomable depths of the ocean.
2: Open water doesn't scare me as much, I think, as it does scare you. I'm a little more open to like life forms and open water and stuff like that. Aliens? I'm fucking terrified of. In my lifetime, I never want to meet another life form that does not exist on here or hasn't existed. If a life form came from outer space and it's on here now, that's that's cool, that's fine. I don't want something from space to introduce itself to me. No, 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 no. At that moment, my fail safe of (laughs) time to go. That's it. I'm bye. I don't want to know. I don't. I am unfathomably terrified, and I don't. I don't care. But this movie reassures me that my fear is absolutely justified. Because if that thing's out there, if a xenomorph is out there, oh, we don't
3: stand a chance. Bye,
2: see y'all. On
1: oh, the very fat like. Idea, the very concept of a xenomorph is exactly why this is a cosmic horror, mm. because it cosmic horror derives from Lovecraft's works, his ideas, yep, and that fear of the unknown, and the just the very way an, a xenomorph operates, it sort of plays right into the concepts that Lovecraft was kind of toiling with, mm. like just these ideas that like. Something could exist out there that we can't completely comprehend. And this thing, uh, we're going to get into how ridiculous this thing actually is. Beyond
2: fucking terrifying, go home, you little bastard. (laughs) Before we get too deep into our alien discussion, I would like to talk about our sponsor, for today.
1: Our new sponsor.
2: Our new sponsor. And when I tell you, I almost shit myself when he showed me this sponsor. Today, our sponsor is none other then a brand from the Great White North, a eh? David's tea.
1: And this is a brand that you know quite well, because you have been drinking David's tea for longer than I've known you.
2: Yes, actually, I have. Um, actually, not as not longer than I've known you. David's tea is a tea that I was introduced to by another YouTuber. Her name is Christine. She's uh sim- simply nailogical. Uh, she has a YouTube channel talking all about. Nails, painting your nails, which if people know me, it's not something you'd think about me, but I do enjoy painting my nails and she drinks a lot of tea and she had a lot of weird kind of flavors. These beautiful mugs, which I have a couple of their mugs. They're actually in storage. Unfortunately, I can't have them out because someone will destroy them.
1: Our cats. Our Our cats. cats. Yeah, our cats. Well,
2: they're beautiful and she'll kill them. But I really ordered a couple of them and I started getting obsessed. Uh, The one of the teas that I have around constantly is pumpkin chai. Their chais are awesome teas. I do cold and I do hot steep. Um, I did pick up their Halloween like wheel Halloween kind of like like sampler batch which had i think 15 to 20 teas three of them each and i'm still trying to drink them and we are into the new year. <laughs> uh they have everything from black oolong herbal robos chai matcha um on the website you buy matcha you buy all of the tools to make your own matcha and Literally, you can do it from home. It is extremely simple. Steeping takes anywhere between three to five minutes. They have everything from no caffeine to high caffeine. And let me tell you, if you just want a pick-me-up, something nice, I would go with Forever Nuts. Sounds weird. But it, but it, it is, it is delicious. so good. Half of the time, these teas have less than 5% sugar or no sugar, and they're so sweet.
1: And these things come in so many flavors. Like, you mentioned a couple of this. Chai, pumpkin, chocolate, vanilla, mint, berry, earl grey. Anything you can think of, they have it.
2: Yep, and right now, currently, um, as of releasing this, they're probably going to be having all of their holiday teas up still. Um, I even... Looked up Halloween a little while ago. They still have all of their popular ones, like I think it's um, witch brew. They also have s'mores. All of their pumpkin ones are still up, very popular. Um, a lot of the holiday ones will still be up, like candy cane. Uh, there's tr- uh, there's peppermint bark. There's a lot. It's it and they are hand to Cthulhu. <laughs> Get it, hand got Hand to Cthulhu. The best teas I've ever had
1: and honestly guys they have these things for any type of need you could have like they have they have ones with benefits for cold immunity boosting sleep aid relaxation detox energy boosts it's kind of insane.
2: I've had the cold remedy one. I was sick with the flu once. I ordered it. I had it in the house forever. It made you feel really good. Uh, kind of reminded me of a medicine ball from Starbucks if people know that without the lemonade that they steam with it. Another big popular one that I love is a basic black tea which is called Buddha. I mean it's Buddha Belly or Buddha. I can't 100% remember right now. I'm trying to find it on the website but uh, their black teas are incredible. They're smooth. They're never too sharp. Um... Their herbal teas are amazing.
1: I honestly feel like this company has so many options that you can choose anything that'll fit your wants or needs.
2: Yeah, yes. If you are... An old bee like me, and you've been drinking tea forever. Or if you're a newbie and you're like, "Hey, how do I do this?" Definitely go to David's Tea. They have a huge selection of teas, huge selection of tea wares, cups for everything imaginable. I have several cups that I bought for them just for travel teas on the go.
1: And if you're somebody who thinks this sounds good and they want to try this. Th- David C even has a tea tasting club Mm -hmm. which gives you kind of basically samplers of each of a bunch of their types of teas each month.
2: I've always wanted to be part of their Tea Steeper Club, and I think now that we have a sponsorship, I'm going to do it this month. I'm going to get more tea for the house. I have so much David's Tea in this house. So much. So much. I have 150 satchels of pumpkin chai.
1: We will absolutely (laughs) never run out of tea.
2: And the best thing about David's Tea is, you can look it up, tea does not expire. It does lose its flavor over time, but as as long as you make sure it's sealed and you keep it fresh, it really doesn't lose its flavor. So you can keep tea for a while. Like me. I'm talking years, guys.
1: <laughs> so by suggestion follow the link that we have down in the description uh, get yourself one of these tea subscriptions yeah. or you can get 30% off your purchase if you buy two or more of their best selling tea packs
2: and I'm telling you you will not be disappointed I know a lot of people that go with Tivana or just generic teas from the supermarket trust me the tea subscription will turn you onto a lot more flavors and just investigate it yourself you have a sweet tooth it's there you like bitter black tea It's there.
1: Seriously, guys, I'm a coffee drinker. I don't I'm not huge into tea, but some of these that they have to offer are absolutely to die for.
2: Yep. So remember, guys, please make sure to go to the link below in the show notes. Check out David's tea. I swear to you, you will not be disappointed. And now back to the scalding hot tea. That is our review of this movie. I have in my hands the... 1984 VHS release. You can hear it. You hear that? That's that lovely cover. You hear that? Yes. That's the tape.
1: So, (laughs) we actually have a few copies of Alien in our archive.
2: Yeah, we have quite a few. <laughs> we have
1: the one you're holding is the CBS Fox release.
2: This is a good and to find.
1: That's actually one of the earlier VHSs that I got in my collection. Mm. We also we have an, another Fox release as well as the 20th century Blu-ray quadrilogy <laughs> <laughs> of all of the films. Yeah. Well all oh, except for the prometheus movies I,
2: honestly uh, those those to me there's the alien there's the alien trilogy there is what we call the abomination of resurrection and then there is the prometheus i
1: wouldn't call resurrection abomination i, I kind of like it okay for what it is i
2: love alien resurrection i love alien for resurrection i do not a lot of fans like that movie. No, a lot of people hate a it. A lot of people hate that film. But that was my introduction to the Alien franchise. Was the fourth one. I've gone backwards with every fucking movie. I don't know what's wrong with me. I definitely like. I, I started, like four, and then I saw the third one, and I saw the second one, and then I saw the first one. But this one, still light years better than any of them, in my opinion. I'm taking your job today. So yeah. today
1: we watched 1979 You motherfucker. Alien. <laughs> <laughs> this film is directed by Ridley Scott, based from a screenplay by Dan O'Bannon. Uh, it stars Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafet Koto. This was originally released May 25th, 1979. It was made on a budget of $11 million. And can you imagine that it brought in a box office of $184.7 million?
2: Yes, I can.
1: Fucking Christ, was this, this a success?
2: This <laughs> catapulted Sigourney Weaver. This absolutely. was her first. And I didn't realize, like I said to you at some point in the film, she was 30 years old when she made this. She was 30 years old when she started her career.
1: Yep, that's absolutely true.
2: Like, holy shit. And let me tell you i have been a huge fan of sigourney weaver for a very long time i have she's an incredible actress absolutely fucking phenomenal but watching her do this film when it's known that this was written as an all-male cast but it could be you know m- the cast could be moved around and this was written for tom scarrett to play Ripley and they were like no we're putting somebody different and then they put Sigourney in there
1: yeah I I believe I heard Dan O'Bannon talk about when they were writing this movie and like then trying to sell it and Mm. everything I believe he talks about it like when they pitched this to the studios they kind of did it with the caveat of oh any one of these characters could technically be female they're Mm. not written that way but they could be yeah And uh, that never did they think that Ripley would end up being a female because at that time, female leads weren't very regular. It was kind of a rarity.
2: But definitely they did it right by making Ripley a female and making her a badass heroine because honestly, I couldn't see this as Tom Skerritt playing that character. Like... Yeah, it would have been cool, like, oh, yeah, cool, there's another action hero. That's all this would have been is another action hero movie. We just had Star Wars, which was a space thing with male heroes. Yeah, Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher's in it, but she's not the same spot that Han and Luke are in.
1: No, and I think, like, with the direction that a lot of these other elements of this movie went, like, with the inclusion of H.R. Giger's designs, and that, that sort of... T- like dark, slightly sexual element that he put to it. Yeah, I think having a lead female was the right way to go.
2: Hundred percent, the right way to go. Like I never really understood why I was so drawn into the Alien franchise, and then as as an adult. I learned about H.R. Giger. Oh, his art. His art really just fucking sucks you into this film.
1: It really does. It is
2: incredible. Ugh. (laughs) That xenomorphs are a very, like, feministic kind of alien because it's all about procreation and advancing the species.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, they're also extremely phallic physically. Yes. So it's like this weird crossbreed.
2: It's kind of like throwing something very uncomfortable in your face and you have to face it being one of the most deadly creatures in this universe. It's like this thing, all it knows is eat and breed and you are nothing to this thing. And it's like, oh, I think that's why, like, if this type of alien is ever discovered No, see ya, adios, I check out. Shitting my pants. Not even shitting my pants. It would be shooting me in the head kind of thing. Bye, see ya. Trigger warning. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. To the back of the box. This is a CBS Fox video. It says, The Ultimate Science Fiction, Color, 1979. In deep outer space, The Crew, ...of a commercial spaceship make an unscheduled landing on a barren and desolate planet for engine repairs. They encounter a pulsating organism which attaches itself to one of the crew members and reproduces reproduces within his body to become the deadly alien. As each of the crew members is slain by the creature one by one, the final confrontation between the last surviving crew member and the alien... Culminates in an explosive conclusion. 116 minutes. Wow, these were real basic on the back, man. The FBI warnings, like down here, <laughs> not <Yeah>. like plastered <laughs> in the front of the movie anymore. And this has a rated R. And you know what? Being a rated R movie, there's only one scene of gore.
1: Uh, one major scene. yeah. One major
2: scene. Like you, you know, it's intended that everybody else is like. Obviously, you see Parker has blood coming out of his mouth. But everything's kept dark. Everything's kept mysterious.
1: And that's that's something I want to kind of touch on. Is like I, I saw this growing up. I was a young kid, obviously disturbed, tormented when I, when I child. <laughs> um, so this one, the first time I ever saw it was on VHS.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: When and you know anybody who watches a VHS now knows that it's VHSs were not clear pictures. Like, you got the idea of what was going on, but it was hard to make out a lot of the detail. Yeah. But I think for a movie like this, that's what makes it work so fucking well.
2: I would say even the Blu-ray. Now, we have to preface, we did not watch the, the director's cut from 2003. No, we, we watched... We watched the 1979 theatrical cut, which on Blu-ray, I will say that whoever did the corrections and whoever did the remaster of this Blu-ray kept the shadows and the darks dark. Kept you in the mystery. Yeah,
1: because that's what it's meant to be.
2: But other movies you've seen, they lighten it a little bit. They, You can see every error. Every yeah. This, they purposely made sure that it was crisp and clear during, like, especially during the scenes where they land on the planet and you can see the ship. I remember being like, and I can't really tell what it looks like, but it was so crisp and clean. Like, you were actually watching a clear Blu-ray that was filmed for it, but then the scenes where, oh God, one of the The cranky crew members from the bottom, I forget what, not Parker, the other dude. When he's down there looking for the cat, going, come here, kitty. It's still dark. It's still dreary. It still has you go, what's happening? What is that? Then you don't know where the alien is until the last moment when he goes, oh,
1: shit. Yeah.
2: and It is just phenomenal. It's a Blu-ray done right. It really is. There's not many of those. There aren't many that they restore to the point where don't go any further or you're fucking up the whole thing. So. Right. So, my dear, my darling, it's not going to get old. I'm just going to call you darling the whole year. Until something, God, don't do that. Please, <laughs> until something else comes better. I could be like, oh, Shawnee, he looks so disappointed. <laughs> so let's get into this film. Like I asked you before we started watching this, how many times do you think you've seen this in its entirety start to finish?
1: I honestly could not give you a number. No. I, just as a kid alone, this is one of those ones that I used to watch a lot. Mm. So, like, I've seen Alien, Aliens, uh, the whole franchise, really. I think Alien 3 is the one I've seen the least amount of times. Yeah,
2: because it's not—honestly, I have to say, it is in the wheelhouse, but I don't know if I'll ever do that one on this podcast because it's it's not interesting.
1: I, I disagree with that but It's
2: not interesting to me within the franchise like like this one's interesting that one is just oh we brought you back just so we could have the alien like no, no I I don't agree with the movie That
1: Alien 3 is more interesting to me because of I know what it was supposed to be mm. and it's also a David Fincher film and I fucking love David Fincher's work He's fucked up
2: No I'm thinking of David You're Lynch thinking of David I'm Lynch. thinking of David Lynch No
1: David Fincher is like
2: what are other movies do you hit you
1: Seven, Gone Girl. Zodiac. I haven't seen
2: Gone Girl. I own Gone Girl. I haven't seen Gone Girl yet. Zodiac. I have seen too many times trying to fall asleep when you first moved into this goddamn apartment.
1: Yeah, well, but I uh, I love his work, and even like though he's not even happy with that movie, I still like appreciate it for what it was supposed to be and what he did do with it. So. I enjoy it, but not as much as the other ones.
2: Like, this is a solid story. The second one is the one I remember the most. I think I've seen the second one more than
3: anything.
1: Most people have.
2: Yeah, because Alien was established. Like, this was terrifying. The second one, like you've said numerous times, is an action film, which I would like to cover on the podcast. So we won't really talk about that much too much. But the changes that they made in the second one to how they told the story make me very happy. This was a one-on-one terrifying movie whereas that one is better at the action, better at the story as a cohesive like group. But I will say this, um you played Alien Isolation and I watched it being played. They did such a good job at mimicking how Ripley felt in this film.
3: Oh yeah, during that video for sure. Game.
2: Holy shit, I know a lot of people don't really play a lot of horror games. It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, I have to watch them as Let's Plays. I'm not, I don't do good um, playing them myself. I uh, either hum the controller or I swear too much and I'm being told, no, like can't, calm down, your blood pressure's gonna go too much. Um, but I watched this being played and oh my God, there are times where I shat my pants. <laughs> being able to pause and walk away. <laughs> but they did a really good job mimicking just how this film felt. And even now, like we've seen it so many times, but... At moments when the chestburster comes out of John Hurt's character for the first time, or you see that alien come down from the rafters and the chains, you still go, Mm. like, it's not a, (gasps) it's more of a, oh, shit. Oh, here it comes. Yeah, like, your asshole just tightens just a little, (laughs) and you're like, okay, all right. So, we don't have to do a play-by-play, really, of this one because we know it really well. Like, we didn't have everything written down. No. Um, So, what I wanted to do with this one is still kind of touch base on a lot of the things, but I want to talk more about the movie itself. Not so much about the plot. I want to talk more about the things about this movie that we like because, obviously, we don't have to ask the question at the end of this. This is a mainstream film. This is not part of the Grindhouse.
1: No, not at all.
2: This film, however, to me, gives me a feeling that it would be a good Grindhouse film now.
1: Like, if you're talking if Grindhouses were still around? Grindhouses
2: still existed. This film, the second and the third one, I could see just being played yeah, at a grindhouse I,
1: I could definitely see that like if grindhouses were still around and they could get their hands on mm. reels of this they absolutely would play it
2: and that's why I said at the end of the last episode I think this is kind of a cosmic exploitation a isolation exploitation Kind, of, this is an exploitation film but it is mainstream but to me it still does fall in the grindhouse he's giving me the face i don't he's giving me the face no
1: i don't agree with that at all so but
2: we we even said we were going to try and pick non a lot more grindhouse films there's a reason why i did pick this one because one if grindhouse films were still uh, movie theaters were still open i think this one would be playing constantly just because compare this to what's a what's an alien movie that came out we didn't watch it but color uh color out of space we bought it, we haven't watched it yet. And I know that this movie, not even like in ways of being filmed and the acting, nowhere near where that one is, but I can see this being played in a grindhouse film. He's being loved by a cat right now. She wants attention and she's taking away all of the spotlight. It's so cute. But I did want to touch on some mainstream films that otherwise should be covered. So that's why when we get to a mainstream film like this, I want to do something different. We don't need to talk about like, oh, you know, this is a, a grindhouse film because and da, da, da. no, I want to talk about the cast. I want to talk about the crew. I want to talk about the film. It's like the actual like filming of it, the, the, the little things where we talked about it a lot last year industrial light magic did the special effects for this in the opening sequence alone where you're going down the hallways you and i were like okay what weird crap did they make this set out of
1: yeah and if you i believe there's a special feature on the the quadrilogy set that i have Mm. that actually goes into uh there's a guy who has like a collection of like a lot of the old stuff that uh, they built for this movie Star Wars and stuff like that
3: mm.
1: when you look at these things on the screen you don't really notice how they were constructed mm. but like when you look at them in person you can actually see it's like oh the side of the machine that they detect the alien's presence with it actually just has a spray painted ice cube tray just glued to it yep. and things like that like it's all th- all this stuff is like uh, those foam things that you the coffee trays, the, like, those are, like, stuck to the walls and painted. And, yeah. Like, like I
2: pointed out, one of the greats was just a fan. The cover of a fan just plastered onto the wall. Yeah. But backwards.
1: Uh, a lot of the times, though, like, when they're building these, like, miniature ships and stuff, it, you'll find stuff like that. Like, it'll be like, oh, it's the, the cage for a fan, but it's, like, mm-hmm. that's the satellite dish on the outside of the ship. Or... Like, or
2: Hey, this weird thing that the toothbrush comes in. Can we use this little plastic piece and like paint it and like put it on the side for some? Absolutely. Exactly. You, you wonder like what the fuck was going through these guys' heads. Like how fucking creative are you to look at this cover for this cup and go... That would be a great radar, or like a great isolator thing that we put a light behind there, and it just it, it it dims it, cloudies it up just enough to make it look old and grimy.
1: No, but it's it's kind of amazing, like how how these things, like you would never notice, mm. are actually put together, it, and it's, it's incredible. If you if you were to look hard enough throughout this movie, you'd definitely be able to find stuff.
2: That's where the Blu-ray go. You can go ah, oh, hey ah. Oh, I know that's a pool noodle,
3: <laughs> like shit <laughs> like
2: that. Like ah, oh, that's a that's a spray painted colander from like Kmart way back when, you know. <laughs> but that's that's just okay to me because like. It's the 70s. You didn't have all this digital tech or all this crazy shit. Like, you had to be fucking inventive. You really did. And this movie, and even Star Wars, like, proves that these fucking genius assholes who, uh, mind you, skinny skinny dipped in, like, trucks on their off time, you know, from watching that fucking documentary to making these beautiful space-like sets is incredible. Like, I kind of want to hunt down other mainstream movies that Industrial Light and Magic did during this, like, between the Star Wars and, like, the 80s period and see how much shit they made.
1: There are so many. Mm. It's ridiculous.
2: Too many. All right. So one of the things that I'd like to talk about with this film is this film did not set up for a sequel. This was not set up. It was... Spoiler alert, Ripley defeats the alien, gets shot into space. End of story. She does or does last log. She puts herself into a deep sleep to be found. End of story. The world that was built off of alien is fucking ridiculous. Absolutely stupid. Like I was at one point just in Wikipedia, just scrolling. And it has its own wiki page and it has its own like cult followings. It has short films comics i didn't realize how big alien was till it's a little huge.
1: while and then when you factor in the fact that it now ties into predator as well
2: yeah like they're in the same are they, they officially the same universe
1: yes because of the so it started with comic series from mm. dark horse yeah they did an alien versus predator thing and then now there's movies of it and yeah Technically, they're tied together.
2: I saw Alien vs. Predator in the film. In the film. I thought in the film. I saw Alien vs. Predator in the theater. Oof! What a waste of money. (laughs)
1: What
2: what a fucking waste of cash. But a good afternoon. I
1: think the first one's okay, but then the... The fucking second one is just really bad.
2: There's a second one.
1: There's a second the one. The first
2: one didn't do... Well.
1: <laughs> no. Like, commercially,
2: look up the... Look at how did, that did. It, it did
1: well enough.
2: <laughs> it did well enough where they're like, yo, let's, a, let's sequel. Stop it. Just stop.
1: So, something I would like to talk about is the basic concept of, like, these characters. Mm. Now, we could get into the cast, but we we know that it, it's an all star cast. It, like they're oh, fucking everybody is fantastic,
2: so amazing. But I will say that the most of this cast has passed away.
1: Unfortunately, so yes.
2: Tom, and Veronica are still alive. Ian Holmes, we just lost him very recently. John Hurt, we lost within the last maybe five years. Um, the guy who played Peter. Oh, not Peter. Parker. (laughs) Peter Parker. Um, guy who played Parker passed away. You know, like, it, and it sucks to, for us getting older. Like, yeah, sure. We are getting older, like in a sense of, um, we're watching our heroes start to pass away. like, Recently, we just saw the Indiana Jones trailer come out. And in my mind, Harrison, sit down you're going to kill yourself. Like, he's getting to the point where, like, we're going to lose our favorites. You're always like, oh, John, John Carpenter, keep going. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and it, it sucks because watching a movie like this, it's like, oh, man, Ian Holmes. First time I saw him was Bilbo in Lord of the Rings and he was already fucking old. Like...
1: To oh, be fair, shit. the first time I saw him was this. So. Oh, really? Yeah. The
2: first time I saw um, John Hurt was the war doctor for um the Lord of the Rings. Help me, Doctor Who. And, you know, now to come to find out, you know, he was in this and he was a good looking dude. Like, all of them are good looking. Um, except for Tom Skerritt. Looks too much like my stepfather. I can't go there. Uh. <laughs> Tom Skerritt and Tom Selleck. I want to know what my stepdad looks Maybe like. it's a
1: Tom thing.
2: It is a Tom thing. His name's Tom, too. But uh, they all got those big old mustaches from the fucking 70s that they
1: just never gave up. <laughs> the Tom stash. The Tom stash. To be fair, Tom Skerritt in this one has a full beard.
2: Yeah, Tom Skerritt in this movie would have fit in very well with the hipsters of today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to touch on the characters, such as Captain Dallas. He's not exciting. He, to me, just seems like, oh, we put him here because somebody needs to be in charge. He doesn't last as well, long as I'd like him
1: to. So, so I think what you're getting at kind of ties into this, something that I I really want to talk about. And mm. that's like, everybody knows about the element of the, like, these characters are essentially, in this universe, they're truckers. Truckers in space. Yep, Their whole job is to, like, transport cargo from one place to another. They get paid for it. Yep. And the fact that you set up these characters this way, it places a lot of... Basically, places all of them out of their element. Uh, Yes, you have Ash, who's, like, a science officer, so he's a little bit more in the element than the others. Mm -hmm. But they're out of their element in the sense that they're, like, they're thrust into this situation that none of them could have predicted was going to happen, despite the fact that they operate in space. And I enjoy that, like, each of these characters, they deliver on characteristics like being overworked, being underpaid, uh, being argumentative, like, they give off this perfect vibe of like a group of people who've been stuck working together in isolation longer than they would have liked to be Mm. and that comes off really well throughout the way they interact with each other and you can see like to your point you can see that like Dallas comes off as kind of like a little bit lackluster but I think that's on purpose Mm. because he's sort of he is the captain he's the guy that constantly always has to be the one Oh, I gotta go take. A, I gotta go get these new orders. I gotta go figure out what the fuck's going on. Everybody's gonna come to me for answers. Everybody's gotta, gonna
2: complain to me when we're not getting paid. Yeah, enough. I
1: gotta make the decisions on everything. Like mm. he's just fucking had it.
2: I gotta talk to mother because nobody else has the clearance to talk to her.
1: Right, and as the movie progresses, you kind of see. How he starts to liven up a little. Takes a little more action. Mm. He starts to make all the decisions. Like, he starts to, like, jump into gear. Yeah. But I like that he starts out kind of lackluster. They all kind of do in a way.
2: Yeah, you don't really notice Ripley until she really, like, sits there at the one moment when they're coming back. And she's like, no, you can't come in.
1: Until they go down to the planet, she's, like, almost non-existent.
2: And then as soon as, because she's the... She's the warrant officer. She's safety and stuff, right?
1: She is... Oh, I forget her actual title. Uh,
2: warrant officer. Um,
1: yeah, warrant officer Ripley. Yeah, yeah that's that should officer be right.
2: definition. Just, what do they do? What do warrant officers doesn't matter. do? <laughs> um, but from my assessment of this film, she is... I'm the one that tells you what the regulations and the rules are you have to follow. Even when he's like, oh, you know, so-and-so's got something around his face. We have to bring him in and take care of him. He could be dying. It's like, but if he's contaminated, everybody else is. You have to stay in there for 24 hours until we see what happens. Yeah. Sorry, that's the rules. If she was able to stick to that, more of them would have survived. Oh, for sure. But nobody listened to her.
1: No, and I think... I think it's interesting that a character like that ended up becoming our protagonist throughout the film. Like, mm. she didn't start out as it. No. It was very clear that, like, she was nobody at she the beginning She was a boring
2: background character in the beginning.
1: And then slowly she started to take charge and become...
2: What we now know Ripley to be. Yeah. Take charge. No bullshit woman that she is, which I... Oof, I love her. Mm
1: that's actually a theme that carries into the the next film
2: she even more doesn't take any fucking bullshit at all she orders oh who's the who's the male star I see his face I almost said uh, he played the president in Independence Day it's not him it's Bill probably. Paxton I just remember her and Bill Paxton going head to head half the time in the second film has it really been that long yeah, since I've seen so. this film uh, no well scratch that so let's touch about the cranky white lady
0: real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Two um, mechanics who are always wondering if they're ever going to get paid and when they're done with their responsibilities. Uh, we have John Hurt's character, which I don't know what the fuck his purpose was other than just being, oh, you're the incubator.
1: <laughs> Cranky White Lady is Lambert. Yep uh two other guys are parker and brett
2: brett parker and brett okay and then yep.
1: john Hurt is kane
2: kane <laughs> kane unfortunately is just poor kane <laughs>
1: yeah but like even down like all of these characters have their own little elements about them like uh kane is very clearly you see in the fact that he's willing to he's like i want to volunteer to be one of the first people out on the planet he's got he's an ambitious guy he's a very ambitious dude and he's he's in a a job that maybe is a little bit beneath him i that's what i get from him like he's he's somebody who who wants better he wants to kind of stake a make a name for himself he wants Mm. to be the first one out there to like oh when do these opportunities come up that somebody finds a distress signal from possibly an alien origin we have no idea like i want to go check that out
2: and then you are forever known as the first dude that got face fucked
1: <laughs> hardy um like parker is very co- clearly the type of uh, mid-range job these days who's just like fucking fed up with the way the system is overworked, doesn't underpaid. overworked doesn't feel like he's being paid enough yep and he's got that that attitude that he carries himself that hey, way fuck. Yeah. And uh, Brett is literally just...
2: He's just as lackey. He's
1: just kind of... He's on the same level, but he just doesn't care as much. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'd love some more money. Like, fuck it.
2: In the the one scene where Ripley's down there with the two of them, and they're working on the ship after they land, and they literally turn on the gas to go... So they can't hear her. At one point, she's like, fuck you guys. He's like, what'd you say? I'll, if you need me, I'll be upstairs. Okay, bye. And then he turns it off, and he's like, "Bitch!" Like <laughs> it's, just, it's moments like that where you're like, "Oh my god!" If they weren't thrust into this situation, like, oh, those two would just move on to a new job, and you'd never see them again after this uh, this trip.
1: And you know, it's kind of funny, like so throughout the movie you get there's a lot of bickering with uh Parker's character and like Ripley and Dallas and like he's he's always kind of confrontational. Apparently, like the actor Yafe Koto he actually said at one point that Ridley Scott told him specifically, like sometime off camera, to annoy the shit out of Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Because he wanted to get that genuine tension between the characters, mm. so like throughout the filming process of this, they just he just made it so she would fucking hate him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> At the end of that, do you go up and like, dude, I'm sorry, he made me do it. Like, do you do you tell them or do you just like keep that?
1: I don't know. Like, I think eventually you probably tell them. Mm. But uh, I know that there was there's a story that the a uh, woman who plays Lambert tells in one of the documentaries I watched about this, who, they, they were shooting one scene, I think it's the scene where, like, after Dallas dies, and they're all sitting around trying to figure out what to- And it, it's not in the film, but the, there was a moment where he just, like, went off and just kind of laid into her, like, like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, i'm fucking six two black as can be like what are you gonna do and apparently sigourney just like put him in his fucking place and he was just like okay (laughs) because he got her to the point that he wanted to get her to
2: good now keep that energy let's keep
1: going These are the types of things that, like, people used to do when making movies, which...
2: they did the Kubrick thing. Yeah,
1: like, the whole idea is to get your actor to give you what you want them to give you. So you have to kind of manipulate the situation in your favor.
2: My actors are, like, fucked up by the time they get to, like, 60. I mean,
1: when you do it to the degree that Kubrick did it, it... It's becomes criminal. Yeah, y'all see that
2: fucking woman now. Mm. But if
1: it's something small, like if it's like you take one actor aside and you're just like, "All right, like this is the reaction I'm trying to get out of this person. Can you help me?" Yeah, it just need you to
2: annoy the shit out of them just for a little bit. And then, bit.
1: like once you have it, you ex- you kind of take the other actor aside and be like, "Look, this is what I, I did. I had you to can get punch that. me if
2: you want. It's yeah. all
1: right. I had to get that." But most of the time, the actors are gonna understand because they want. To give you what you're looking for. Something else that we should probably talk about with this movie is the score.
2: Holy shit. Didn't I ask if we owned the score? And you were like, no.
1: I wish I had like the vinyl pressing of this score. Mm. You can get it, it's out there. I believe it's a little bit expensive. But the score for this film, at least for me, like I've always found it hauntingly beautiful and ominously atmospheric Mm. like they do a really incredible job just drawing you in to each and every moment
2: the score is one thing that sits with you for this film because it does what i think should be done and at moments like texas chainsaw massacre at moments there is no music there's no real score behind it at some moments. Like the moment where John Hurt's character is falls down and is near the egg. There is a little bit of score, but it's very, very muted. And then it escalates, which I think is kind of cool. It's escalated, then mutes, then... Es- like, it gives you that tension that you're always hoping for. I don't know about you, but sometimes that no music in a score, that dull, like, kind of lull in, a, in, a, in an instant can give me more anxiety than that fucking elevated "Ah, fucking music can ever. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think in a movie like this, pulling the score out fits more than ever because when you're in space, there is no sound. There's no noise.
2: No one can hear you scream. deafening
1: silence. Like, that is so unnerving. Yeah, that is...
2: Fucking terrifying to think about. So I have a couple of questions about f- for you about this film. Okay, you're a film dude. You're a film buff. You I like. Am. You uh, you work as a um, a grip, a focus puller. Uh, what are your other titles?
1: Sometimes camera operator, uh, freelance video, generally.
2: <laughs> Sometimes accountant, but we won't get into that one. <laughs> um. From your standpoint, on a cinematography level, is this this like a top?
1: It's really going to depend on what you're talking about, really. Because by the basic standards, yes, this is a very good-looking film. Mm. And the tricks that they use to pull off some of the effects and stuff like that are top-notch, especially for the time. (laughs) However, cinema if you're talking strictly the camera operation no this is pretty basic i mean there's not a whole lot of ingenuity in the way the camera moves or is positioned like it's all flat for the most part uh barring some like good framing choices like when they're in the the central mother room. Mm. Like they always like frame it so like the character is lower in the frame and there's a lot of headroom so they can show off how the room looks.
2: All oh, the bells and whistles.
1: But <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's really gonna depend on your your meaning behind the question.
2: I I only asked that because we have Filming wise. That movie was beautiful. Story wise <laughs> But filming wise <laughs> If we're talking the way they um, angled a lot of the shots, the colors that they pulled, everything. It is a beautiful movie. This movie, I feel, lacks a little bit of that. The colors are more muted. The tone is more gray, dark green, black, white, because there's not a lot of color in space. There's... This, this movie doesn't need a lot of imagination. This is a cut dry. The alien is literally a black, glossy, just looks like almost latex. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's disturbing on another level because it is very plain. And I think that's where I love this movie more than I did Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Event Horizon was trying to be, like, they based... You know that that ship off of Notre Dame, yeah. uh, after after one of the most biblical buildings, this is basically just you found another life form. Good fucking luck. You've no idea what you've gotten yourself into. You know, and from that standpoint, do you think this movie looks better than that one,
1: though? Personally, yes. I I think Alien looks far better than Event Horizon um which is that's it's
2: event horizon but a lot of the other cosmic horror movies out there. I think this one did it plain and right.
1: Yeah. I mean the the color palette fits the tone that this movie is going for. Like it's it's dark. It follows very plain jane characters, like very average people by the standards of futuristic films. Mm. Like nobody is an action hero, nobody is a uh, super scientist or anything, like, the most you get, closest you get is Ash, but...
2: Yeah, but even that, it's played by John... uh John. It's played by Ian Holmes, who, Ian Holmes is a very short, normal-looking dude. Like, he's not some... You know, he's not, we'll get to the chopper! He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> he's not some action hero, he's not Van Cla- Jean-Claude Van Damme. You know, Ian Holmes is a pivotal character in this... Like, he's a big deal in this, but you would never have guessed it until that turn happens. Um, Tom Skerritt, he looks like an action hero, or, or the most action hero out of all of them. You would think, oh, okay, first time watching this film, never heard of it. He's the one that's gonna lead you through it. And then it end up, ends up being the most likely girl. You know, the the one who who's like, I'm the last, I'm it. And I saved the cat. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, shall we get into the film? Absolutely. So this one opens up in with well with its classic, very slow opening cre- uh, title reveal. Hmm. So you got the opening credits that play over, just like this static shot of space, and I think there's like it's like a planet. Um, and the title just slowly reveals itself in pieces and it's iconic at this point. Mm. Many films have copied it and they've carried that same basic style for the titles throughout the entire franchise. We then are basically introduced to our, our location, our ship, the Nostromo, which is this big well, it's a cargo vessel that's towing a big like I'm not sure if it's like a mining vessel. I don't remember what, exactly what they say it is.
2: It, it it was like they they were returning with a mining. Um, they're they're towing like a a mining base or like something. Yeah, something that was built for them to bring back to Earth.
1: Right now, the ship begins to receive some kind of transmission. It, uh, all the devices inside start to activate. And this triggers the awakening of our seven crew members uh, who were all in stasis for the journey. Hmm. We have got Captain Dallas, Executive Officer Kane, Warren Officer Ripley, Navigator Lambert, Science Officer Ash, and Engineers Parker and Brett. Now, quickly after they all awaken from stasis, Dallas uh, goes in to basically speak with the ship's computer called Mother Mm -hmm. and he's told that they were awoken early in their journey back and she's told that they were awoken and he's told that they were awoken early in their journey back to Earth because the ship received some kind of transmission of unknown origin from Mm -hmm. a nearby planet or a nearby moon rather and You actually learn a lot in this scene just through their dialogue that um, essentially part of their job in their contracts, it actually states that they have to, if the ship receives some kind of transmission like that, they are legally bound to actually go investigate it.
2: Yeah, and they Parker and Brett were complaining that they didn't want to go do this, that, you know, they they aren't going to get any much money. And that's when Dallas and Ripley reveal, like, in your contract, it states you have to do this. If you don't, you forfeit everything. And they're just like, they just bitch at each other the entire time.
1: Yeah. So, essentially, the crew, they're forced to go check out this transition. They have no idea what it's from. It could be a distress beacon from another ship or possibly of alien origin. Mm. They have no idea.
2: It was really, it's really interesting when, because we watched the movie and we really didn't do a play-by-play, but I'm reading here as three of them, Dallas, Kane, and Lambert, go investigate the terrain and the signal. Um, they lose contact with the Nostromo. Nostromo. Ripley deciphers part of the dis- transmission determining it is a warning for people to stay away but cannot relay the information because they've lost contact with them.
1: Which is kind of funny because like, I've seen this movie so many and it times. it doesn't
2: seem like that but, no. but if you remember her face goes from kind of like reading the information with Ash to concerned because she's like, huh. Which kind of understandably triggers her, no, you're not coming in. You need to stay out there for 24 hours.
1: Yeah. And like this, I've seen this movie so many times and like that type of stuff, those moments never really translate that well. No. Like I never re- think, oh, she's learning that it's a, it's a warning.
2: It's not a signal. Hey, come get me. It's no, don't come here.
1: Cause they don't like. They don't push it into your face in no. this movie. It's like, pick it up if you it's pick very, it up. It's very,
2: very subtle, which I think that's what um, Ridley Scott wanted. Yeah. A, how would people really act if they were to contact an extraterrestrial?
1: Yeah, once they go down to the planet, uh, they discover that this signal's coming from this large, derelict alien ship that's just crash-landed on the surface. Hmm. Um, as you said, they lose contact with the Nostromo, so they they have no way of getting Ripley's transmissions to warn them. Mm. So they go into this ship and they discover this huge chamber that has what many... Like
2: the skeletal remains
1: of an alien creature. Yeah, this thing has been dubbed by many fans as the Space Jockey. The Space Jockey? Get
3: the back.
2: The space jockey, was he like the the um, international radio player?
1: I don't know why they called it the space jockey. I'm, I'm thinking just because it was like a entity riding or in control of the ship. Mm. I, I don't really understand. I never understood the name. The pilot
2: or the space jockey, an engineer who piloted the spacecraft that crashed onto LV 426.
1: And that's the thing. We now know that it's an engineer, like because of the Prometheus timeline. Yeah, I was going to say,
2: it looks just like those creatures.
1: Well, that's what it is. Yeah.
2: Although, prior to that, prior to Prometheus and all of that coming out, we didn't know what these were. It was just another alien form, right?
1: No, yeah, you have no idea what this was supposed to be. That was kind of the beauty of this moment in the movie, is, like, there were so many questions that would never be answered. Unfortunately, and I think this is unfortunate, but, like really decided to make these Prometheus movies, or Prometheus and Alien Covenant and whatever is going to follow that. So we're starting to get answers to some of these questions Mm. and personally, I didn't want them. (laughs) Like, I was the type of person who was like, I like that mystery. I like never knowing what that's going to be. But, you know, here we are all these years later and we're getting a whole new franchise that keeps getting stalled. Mm. But... (laughs) I like getting more alien films, but I didn't really want prequels. So, like, if anything, I wanted just more sequels.
2: Yeah, I mean, we... they, There is talks of that Prometheus series being finished out. But, like everybody knows, it did not do well. It did. It did not badly. It just did poorly. Yeah. Because everybody wanted more of the Xenomorph story. Nobody wanted... Where they came from.
1: No, and the direction he took it was in such a, uh, like, creationist type of way. Yeah. And it, um, I think a lot of people are bummed that it feels almost like he's, it feels almost like he's blending this universe with his Blade Runner universe in a lot of ways, because (laughs) he's exploring the android perspective more. Which is an interesting take. Yeah. I'll give him that. I, I do think it's not something you would expect him to do, where it's like, I'm going to explore their viewpoint like as a synthetic form of life. I don't know. Like I think it's very interesting. I almost wish he had saved that for Blade Runner movies instead of the Alien franchise. Mm. But because they're so kind of intertwined in a lot of ways, like both of them explore that in some form. I don't know. I, I, I guess I understand the choice. I just hope he never fully merges those two worlds, like saying they they take place in the same universe or anything. Oh,
2: yeah, because, you know, we don't need Harrison Ford in the chestburster. We really don't.
1: Well, that's never going to happen. I mean, Harrison Ford his doesn't want to do chest anything burst anymore. From
2: his fucking heart uh, <laughs> from his chest before a chestburster will. <laughs> now, I've never seen Covenant.
1: It's honestly for the better. like Prometheus really? Prometheus is a very good movie. like mm. I really like that movie. Covenant, I have so many problems with. like more problems than I can count. That movie stresses me out really but, yeah, because there's just a lot of things like characters are just stupid. Like the only character that they focus enough on is David. Like, the the android from Prometheus. Yeah. Because he carries over into that movie. And they develop him much further. Like, I like what they did with him. But, at the same time, every other character is, like, an idiot. Like, it makes no sense, some of the decisions that they make, and... uh, I don't know. And honestly, like, the only other... Other than uh, David's character and hit like the performance there the only other saving grace of that movie is uh there's one of the other characters i always forget the actor's name who plays him hmm. and i don't know why i always forget it but he's a he's more known for comedy danny and mcbride danny mcbride yes yeah i
2: was just reading his name
1: he is fucking phenomenal in that he's movie he's a comedian but he's not... A, he, he has no comedy in the movie. Really? None. He plays it completely straight, and he does an incredible job. And he's in so little of it. But, like, he's there for... Like, he's one of the the characters. Hmm. And he's great. Plays the role perfectly. I, I don't know. It's, like, it's something I didn't expect. I expected him to be this comic relief that would be, like, bring the whole thing down. But he made it awesome. Um... But other than those two characters, like I don't I don't care about anybody in the movie. Like the movie just kind of meh
2: wait wait, wait wait wait. This is a cross between the happening, which is M. Night Shyamalan, ding dong, blah 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 blah. Like I'm reading the synopsis for this. And kind of like The Last of Us.
1: You're talking about Covenant?
2: Yeah. I'm reading how this mm. this is infected and it's by fungus?
1: It's not no, not real. It, it's it's there's more to it than that. Like reading it, you're you'd be probably taking it at face value, but when you watch it, you're like, oh, okay. It, it's kind of weird. But anyway, we should probably get back to the actual film that we're talking about. Here. Yeah, I
2: gotta. I want to watch. I want to watch this abomination. Yeah, well, Do we own this abomination?
1: No, that's the only Alien film I don't have.
2: I'm going to have to buy
1: that one. Yeah, I'll have to pick it up at some point. (laughs) So, on the planet, which... In this film, you don't know the name of it. But I believe... uh, I can't remember what the designated number is. Because there's two. There's this planet and then the one in Alien 2. Well, Aliens. Hmm. Which is uh, LV-426. This one's LV something. I can't remember the actual oh, designated code. Code
2: for this one is this one says LV426. I
1: think I thought LV426 was the second one.
2: Oh, it ha- maybe it's mislabeled because this is the moon was given its common name by the early human colonists who settled there. The main colonist base, Hadley's Hope, has 158
1: people. That's Alien 2, or Aliens. But that's
2: what they landed on, it says.
1: It's not the same.
2: There's an engineer who piloted the spacecraft that crashed on LV-426. It was killed by a chestburster, although what happened... Is it possible it was the same planet?
3: Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack.
2: So we paused for a little research. Took us, what, five, ten minutes? To discover that Weyland-Yutani is a bunch of absolute chronic assholes. They knew that this alien ship crash-landed on LV-426. And when... Spoiler alert, when Ripley goes into stasis, she's in stasis for 57 years before she comes out for the events of Aliens, aliens which they've now colonized LV-426, knowing what happened to the crew of the Nostromo, Nostromo on that planet. Yeah. This absolutely just makes my mind go...
1: So, Weyland-Yutani, yeah, has always been a bastard of a fucking company.
2: They're an American corporation. That's what they remind me of.
1: I don't entirely under like they have this weird fantasy of like somehow weaponizing xenomorphs. I don't really get it, but they keep trying. They keep failing.
2: <laughs> All I know is, in the third movie, Brad Dorf is trying is a scientist or the resurrection. Yeah. Brad Dorf is a scientist who's like, "We're gonna make millions. We're gonna have weapons." And I just remember Brad Dorf's face when he gets killed, and I'm like, "Yeah, you thought wrong, motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
2: oh God. Anyway, okay.
1: so yes, uh, once the crew uh, or the three members of the landing party go into the ship. They discover the space jockey. They see that something at some point burst out of it Mm. or out of its corpse. And then Kane ends up discovering this. It's like a storage area that looks to contain egg-like objects.
2: And he makes a comment that says there's a mist or a force field that makes an alarm every time I break it. And then he slips and falls into the egg area. Yeah. Which I believe, because the xenomorphs are a hive mind, alerts what I believe would be the entire clutch, and to think, okay, time time to start waking up, and that's what triggers that egg to kind of
1: it's, start to hatch. Yeah, it's possible. When he touches one of these eggs, it, like, opens up, and this thing comes out and latches onto him It actually breaks through the glass of his helmet and attaches itself to his face. Now, Dallas and Lambert realize he's in distress. They get to him, carry him out unconscious and bring him back to the Nostromo. Mm. Now, at this point, they're off the ship. So that actually puts Ripley as the head officer on the ship. So once they get back, She flat out refuses to let them on board because Mm. it's quarantine regulations that like, if you're not sure what happened to somebody, they have to be quarantined so that you don't like inadvertently infect the rest of the crew, which makes total sense to me. But unfortunately, Ash, the science officer, is listening in on all of this Mm -hmm. and he overrides her decision and lets them all inside. Yeah. Now... We move through these next few moments a little bit more quickly. So he essentially, they bring him into the medical bay and Ash attempts to remove the thing from Kane's face. However, in doing this, they discover that this thing's blood is highly acidic.
2: Yeah, like it, when Ash tries to cut where the knuckle is to free Kane. It then leaks three levels down of the Nostromo to the point where it just corrodes absolute steel, electron, everything that would be highly difficult to destroy. And even um, Parker, while an asshole, is like, don't get under it, don't get near it, don't touch it.
1: So this thing, they they realize they have no way of getting it off of him without either ruining the ship or killing him. Mm. So in the meantime, they kind of just leave him in the medbay to try and figure out what they're gonna do. Now, over this period of time, the thing freely detaches itself. Mm. And then they find it dead in one of the overhead like areas.
2: Spins or something.
1: This, uh, during the, so when they landed on the planet, they actually damaged part of the ship. So over this period of time, our two- Engineers are trying to repair it Mm. and the ship. They end up partially repairing the ship, so like enough to where they can get off the planet and start heading back home. So they leave LV 426, begin their journey back. But before, and they're making the decision to all right, we got to put Kane into a hypersleep, we're all going to go back to sleep, and just we'll figure it out when we get back to Earth. Yeah, but during this process of making the decision kane wakes up yep and he seems to have some kind of memory loss like he doesn't remember the time on the planet but he does remember this like what he describes as like a dream of being smothered yeah now he just went through this ordeal and the first Mm -hmm. thing he's like i need to get some food i'm hungry so they make the decision all right we're gonna have one last meal together before we all go back to sleep and we're gonna go home So And during this final meal, Cain begins to exhibit some kind of reaction to what happened to him. Like,
2: distress. Like, he's having some sort of reaction. Like, he starts coughing and having a hard time breathing. And you're like, oh, God, is he having a heart attack?
1: And he immediately starts to seize and convulse. And the whole crew holds him down. They're trying to, like, Like, get... Like, what's
2: wrong? What's going on?
1: They're trying to get, like, a fork into his mouth so he doesn't bite his own tongue off. Yep. Throughout this struggle, suddenly, Kane's chest explodes, and this little worm-like creature emerges from the cavity. Oh
2: my god, and it is the most iconic little thing, and I'm sorry, Industrial Light and Magic did their best, but the, sk- not even skitter, the wet glide across the table is the funniest <laughs> thing that, you're like... there
1: goes there's a lot of funny stories about this moment it's the most iconic moment in the movie for a long time it was believed that that whole thing was done in one take
2: oh god no! and
1: that they didn't tell the crew what was gonna happen or the the cast yeah which to some degree is true nobody knew exactly what was gonna happen what actually happened was they the the initial burst—they didn't tell them about that. Like it just happened. So their in the middle reactions of
2: the are genuine. They're like when yeah. the girls start scream, like through that shriek scream. That's real. That's real. <coughs> Damn.
1: However, on that first initial burst, the the actual effect failed, and it didn't rip through the shirt.
2: Is that why there's that scene where it's just a, like, like a blood splatter?
1: Yeah. Uh. So no, you can see it very quickly if you really look, but. Uh, when you see the thing initially jump forward, Mm. the shirt lifts up and it just stays.
2: And it just stops.
1: But, so, like, there is an outtake where it comes through and it's just, like, a tent. Like, it looks like he has a chest boner.
2: Um, A heart boner?
1: Yeah, a heart boner. Um, So, they ended up doing another take where the thing actually came through and ripped through the shirt. Mm. That, this fucking moment, is the most fucking memorable thing. Like, the first time you ever see this, especially then, in, like... When did this come out? 79. Yeah. And like in the 80s when you watch this, it was awesome. It was like the coolest thing anybody had ever done. However, watching it now, it doesn't hold up as well. The effect is very clear how they did a lot of it. Mm. But it's still fun. I like it. So this thing runs off and disappears into the ship, which ensue, like begins their hunt for it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: ash ends up developing a a device that can kind of track motion so they start to scour the ship they're looking for it in this same time period they actually eject kane's body out the airlock mm. give him a a like classic space burial which i've always found interesting
2: Human Body just flying.
1: Well, they, they do that in a lot of movies. They do it in this. They do it in Starship Troopers. They do it in, uh, I think, in... I want to say Star Trek did something similar yeah. at one point. But, like, that idea of, like, just... We're going to jettison your body into the vacuum of space and just let it... Good luck. Fly into fucking the abyss. Yeah. It's just a weird idea. <laughs>
2: it's a weird way of saying... We don't really have the resources to keep you on board, so, uh, see ya. Yeah, it's
1: like, so he's just gonna, his corpse is just gonna float in space, and, like, maybe at some point another ship will come along and just run into it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's just weird. Or, I guess, I suppose maybe the idea is that, oh, if you send him into space, maybe at some point it'll get caught in the atmosphere of a planet, and it'll burn up on on entry. Like, that kind of makes sense, I guess.
2: Which I have a weird question for you. You know how, like in the world, us, sometimes they're like, oh, we're having a meteor shower or, you know, space debris is falling. Could that be Could that be the remnants of a body that, that an alien race jettisoned out of their spacecraft? Maybe. Do we have bits of alien like, maybe that's what actually like a meteor is. It's just bits of alien just just burned up in the atmosphere. It's
1: fucking kidney stones.
2: Oh god, oh god. <laughs> it's a big ass kidney stone, right?
1: So they start to scour the ship uh, they're looking for this little creature. Uh, they're walking around with like nets and electric prods and shit, like just because they don't really know what to expect or how to how to catch it. Hmm. They break into two groups when they do this, and the group that we basically follow is Ripley and our two engineers, uh, Brett and. And the group that we follow is uh, Ripley and our two engineers, Brett and Parker, and. They start to detect movement in one of the lockers, so they they open it up, and surprise, surprise, it's the ship's cat, who is, I guess, he's on board as a rodent deterrent.
2: Yeah, I had mentioned that earlier. He, uh, they bring him on board as a rat killer because obviously, you can't get rid of you know human world problems where you have bugs and and mice and shit. So the strong is a huge ship so you have to have something to keep the vermin in check thus jonesy
1: it makes sense Mm. so they the cat jumps out of the locker and brett actually lets it go and they're like oh god no why why why'd you let it go he's like it's it's the cat like what are you worried about Like, well, we have to catch it because it's going to set
2: off the motion. It's going to keep
1: setting off the motion sensor when we're trying to find this thing. Mm. So they're like, "Brett, go Mm. get the cat. We'll keep going." So Brett breaks away from the group. He is trying to get Jonesy, and unfortunately, he is the first to meet the now fully grown alien.
2: How did this thing grow up that fucking fast?
1: They grow very quickly.
2: Damn.
1: From birth, the Zetomorphs, like, they they get implanted. It, it takes only a few hours for it to incubate, really. Um, and then once it comes out of its host, it, it grows very rapidly. It's like a, a snake, essentially. It sent, sheds its skin. And so xenomorphs just keeps,
2: are basically a parasite.
1: In a lot of ways, yeah.
3: Ooh.
1: So unfortunately the xenomorph descends from the ceiling and takes Brett away and his body is never found.
3: <laughs>
1: so the crew then gets back together. They have a pretty heated discussion and they determine that they believe the creature is utilizing the air ducts in the ship and Dallas well Ripley volunteers to be the one to go in after it but Dallas takes her place the idea is that he's going to go into the air vents they're going to seal up the access points one by one until he basically forces it into the airlock and they can just blow it into space Mm. But that doesn't work out so well for Dallas because he gets ambushed in the air ducts and we never see him again.
2: Which, honestly, I thought Dallas survives a little longer. Or is that the director's cut?
1: I mean, it still happens the same way Mm. in the director's cut. There just may be a little more meat beforehand. Because
2: I thought Dallas lasts a little longer than that. I thought he was one of the last ones along with Lambert Parker. Oh,
1: no. No, he dies at the same midpoint.
3: Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> bah, bah, bah.
1: So, unfortunately, this kind of leads, like, Lambert and basically everybody else to realize that the alien intends to kill the entire crew one by one. Which kind of implores everybody to just, alright, we're going to abandon-, abandon ship. We're mm-hmm. going to get it, get on the shuttle and we're going to take our fucking chances, we're going to get the hell out of here. Even though Ripley states earlier on that the shuttle is too small for the remaining four members. Yeah. Dallas being dead now, Ripley is in command. She is... She's the head honcho.
2: And her and Parker fight.
1: (laughs) Yes, and that's always been a fun thing for me because I know, like, the stuff behind the scenes Mm. with this. So... There was a lot of a lot of tension there throughout shooting and we talked about it earlier but like really Scott actually like pushed uh Parker to you know get on her nerves cuz he wanted that genuine mm. like irritation so after making this decision uh Ripley goes to access mother because she wants to know exactly what this thing is like Mm -hmm. she wants the answers yes and in doing so she discovers that science officer ash secretly has orders to return the alien to earth and that in the system the crew is listed as expendable
3: Yeah,
2: which holy crap
1: and ash kind of interrupts her um finding all this out Mm. and she understandably loses it she's very very upset and in this in this sequence we we get our big reveal because ash attacks her and he tries to kill her now i want to pause for a moment before i get to the actual reveal because which everybody listening to this probably already knows yeah but i always thought this was an interesting little moment because so what he does is he, he kind of like he knocks her unconscious slightly, and then he, like, he brings her over to this, it looks like one of the crew's, like, quarters area, hmm. and he he goes to choke her to death by, he rolls up a nudie mag and shove it down her throat, so it's like this very phallic, like, somewhat sexual moment. Like, it's it's very weird.
2: Which I've always found... Which I've always found very... strange. Which I'm like, you're an android. You could have just choked her. You could have just put your hands around her neck and choked her and it would have been more effective than let me grab the nudie mag and shove it down your throat like cock. No, it <laughs> doesn't work like that. You can still breathe through the magazine a little. Paper isn't, like, completely... Like, what? You're an android. You're supposed to be smarter than this, aren't you? I
1: don't know. I, I think it's just... just Desperation? Little, it's, it's a weird little moment. Like, I always thought it was kind of funny. But yes, that that's the reveal if you didn't get it. Uh, Asher's an android, which we did not know up until this point. No. So, uh, luckily, he gets interrupted by uh, Parker and Lambert, who they stop him... And he starts to malfunction, and he starts spraying, like, milk blood everywhere.
2: Is this another, like, Geiger kind of...
1: Maybe a little bit of that, yeah, but I think the... I think they were just trying to go for, like, something different for the androids.
2: It looks like they're filled with cum.
1: I mean, yeah.
2: You never know if the androids are coming or going.
1: Ah. <laughs> well, they end up knocking his head off. Yeah, yeah. And basically just beating the shit out of him until he stops functioning. Um, immediately, though, they, they reactivate his head because they need to get answers. And they learn that he was assigned to ensure that this creature survived. And in this scene he actually expresses like admiration for it Mm. like for how it's like it's unhindered by conscience or morality and it kind of taunts its prey like it's really I don't know it's a a very interesting moment because you kind of see this like, weird moment of humanity for the android. Mm. And how, like, it almost admires how perfect of a life form the xenomorph is.
2: Which, okay, it's gonna sound weird. The xenomorph is a pretty funny, impregnatable life force. It has an exo- hard exoskeleton, acidic blood. The only thing it knows is to eat and breed that's the only thing it literally is a parasite species because it will kill like uh, like it, it. it what is that word it will kill not unjustly not uh no judgment there's, there's no judgment. It's like, oh, hey, you're in front of me. Time to die. Like, there's no reasoning. There's no nothing with these creatures. You know, Alien Resurrection kind of ruins that. <laughs> but we'll Ooh. get to that eventually. But, like, the xenomorphs are a perfect species, scientifically. From a humanity standpoint, one of those gets on Earth and we are all fucked. It doesn't matter if it's just one facehugger, humanity's gone. Done. End. So, Ripley trying to do everything in her power to get away from this?
1: You know, I wonder if that's true.
2: If one... Well, you think about it. If they were successful, if the Nostromu captured a facehugger but it didn't... If they got the facehugger and it didn't wrap itself around Kane. If yeah. they captured it and brought it back to the ship, if they brought it back to Earth, not knowing exactly what the species is, mm. s- humanity, humans are stupid.
1: Well, my my question, because I, and this may be explored in like the comics or something, mm. but I don't know how the face hugger operates in terms of if you were to. Bring just a face hugger back. Can a face hugger determine what it is laying into you? Because essentially, if you brought just a facehugger back, it would have to immediately lay a queen into somebody for it to uh populate. Because a regular alien, as we learn,
2: is just is basically just a they're drone. a worker bee. They're a drone. They they're not doing They're gatherers. That's all that is. It's literally what it did. I think to Dallas and to um, Brett is it gathered the two of them and probably prepared them to be hosts. That's what I think they were doing. Obviously, we saw it killed Brett. Yeah. Um. And not Brett. It killed Parker right off the bat. It killed him. You saw him because Parker was trying to defend Lambert. Threat. Yeah. Um, and then we learn in, in Subsequential movies and even in the game That the workers Don't kill automatically They uh, Land a blow To knock you out What do they call you? They they prone you Yeah. They'll damage you to prone you But then they prepare you to be a host Which sounds Like oh okay it doesn't kill you No that's more terrifying because You're going to be wrapped up and cocooned And then impregnated by a face uh, by a face hugger, Right. Like holy hell.
1: So like, uh, I don't know I feel like it would have for it to be a threat for you to bring a face hugger back, it would have to be able to choose to lay a queen into you. Because as we've seen, once it lays an egg, it falls off and dies. So like, mm. I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm curious about that. Is it like a chance that it'll lay a queen or is it I mean, granted, if you brought a facehooker back in and impregnated somebody, that alien would probably kill a lot of people before military gunned it to hell. Yeah. Like, but, I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting thought. Like, I'd almost like to see it play out, just to see what they would do with that. Yeah. But, um, so... With this new information, the remaining crew decides that they're going to self-destruct the Nostromo. They're going to get on the shuttle and escape. Um, however, Parker and Lambert get ambushed and sadly killed while they're trying to gather life su- while they're trying to gather life support supplies. Um, Ripley initiates the self-destruct. Uh, she actually gets cornered by the alien on her way to the shuttle. But she retreats um, and attempts to abort the self-destruct, but it actually is unsuccessful. Yep. And with no other options, she gets on the shuttle with Jonesy and narrowly escapes the explosion. Now, she believes she's in the clear, so she starts preparing to get into stasis, because she has no idea how long she's going to be floating freely in space before somebody finds her, if mm-hmm. somebody finds her. Yeah. And unfortunately, while doing this, she discovers that the alien got on board with her.
2: And it looks like it's hurt. It's resting.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually like hidden, like, laying within a, the cavity of the wall. Mm. So, once she knows it's there, she retreats into, like, it looks like a storage closet for the spacesuits, mm-hmm. and she slowly, get, like, very carefully gets into the spacesuit. And she uses the I don't know exact, it's like gas exhaust system mm-hmm. that the ship has. We, we've seen it throughout the movie, but like, that they can vent gas just from each of the piping. Yeah, so she uses that to draw the creature out of where it's uh, hiding and once it comes out it starts to approach her and she like locks herself into this chair and w- opens the airlock and this blasts the thing out into space but it kind of like
2: it tethers it, it latches on
1: yeah it, then like, she huh. has to
2: shoot like a, a- like a, uh, it's like a
1: spear gun. Yeah,
2: she spears it, but then because of the thrust of the thing being pulled into space, the gun lets go of her hand, gets caught in the door, and now the alien is tra- trailing on a little tether line
1: and it's trying to get and back. Trying to in. get back. And when she sees this, she uh, she hits the thrusters on the ship, and this fucking incinerates the thing.
3: Yeah.
2: How does she feel about just killing a baby?
1: I mean, wouldn't you (laughs) in this situation? (laughs) That baby, Yeah. (laughs) Um So after the thing is finally dead she re-prepares to get into stasis she records her final ship log kind of giving a warning to anybody uh, who finds her and telling them what happened And she places herself and Jones into stasis for their trip back to Earth. Yes,
2: and that's it. That's how the movie ends. They didn't spoiler. They they didn't sequel bait
1: this movie at all. This very well could have been a one and done. That's it.
2: And for how much Sigourney fought about doing the other movies, I think she
1: wanted it to be a one and done. I honestly would have respected it a lot. I love Aliens. I like Alien 3. I do like Resurrection for what it is. But this could have been one of those standalone, really powerful movies. Yeah. But we also wouldn't have gotten one of the greatest sequels ever. <laughs> yeah. So, would you like to move directly on to closing questions? Or?
2: Absolutely. We've talked about this one quite a bit. <laughs> All
1: right. <laughs> Did you have any favorites from this one?
2: From this movie? No, because this is a favorite altogether. Like, (sighs) no lines really stand out to me. No scenes stand out more to me. This whole movie is one of my top favorites. Just in just sheer playing with fear. It definitely makes you think.
1: I uh, I can kind of agree. I don't have any like favorite lines or anything. Uh, I think the two scenes that stand out the most to me have always been Brett's death when the alien is like hanging from the ceiling.
3: Mm.
1: Especially uh, it, watching that on Blu-ray, you can actually like see it hanging in the ceiling when he walks into the yep. room before it ever makes itself known.
2: Yeah, and you're just kind of gently watching it like oh dear Lord
1: um outside of that I think the scene that works the best is the uh Dallas's death mm. that entire sequence is so very tense and they build it up really well with like the claustrophobic nature of him moving through the vents and those uh aperture uh ducks closing and everything yep. it's really like, really ooh. cool. Would you make this today?
2: No. I don't... This appropriately is in 1979 for a reason. This is so classic. So loved. Even people that don't love horror movies, this movie is terrifying on a different level. It's the unknowns of space. It's the unknowns of being alone. It's the unknown of trying to outsmart a killer. Like, no, I do not. Alien never needs to be redone. There are so many sequels, like there's so many movies. I'm surprised we don't have a limited series yet, but we have video games, comic books, like the world of Alien and Xenomorphs is enormous. That's what I've been reading this whole time is this black hole that I went down is extraordinary. And I never knew it was this grand.
1: It is monumental. Holy... It is huge.
2: I might have to jump on the alien train for a little (laughs) while again. I did in uh, 2014 when Alien Isolation came out. And I was really hardcore into like, this is so cool, but I can't play games like that. And I just realized that like, there's a sequel to that game. There's a whole Dark Horse comic spinoff from the game. You know, there is like... Books upon books of that people have written of Ripley's story and continuing her daughter's story and like gone into like the origins of like all of the people that were on the the in Aliens, all of the people that are in Alien Three. Like Jesus Christ!
1: Well, that's why uh, a, a few years ago, the director of District Nine, uh, Neil Blomkamp, mm. he was. Actually, in talks to do an Alien sequel, um, and it was essentially going to be Alien Five, Oof. and the his concepts for it were so intriguing to me because they had to do with like he was kind of ignoring ignoring Alien Three and Resurrection, yeah, and his ideas were like he was going to bring back Ripley, he was going to bring back uh, Hicks because these people survived aliens. Yeah. Uh, he was going to bring back Newt. Ooh. And, like, he was going to explore their, like, what happens to them years after that. Yeah. After the events of aliens. and Kind
2: of like what Halloween kills. You yeah. see what happens to Laurie Strode years later.
1: He He had this whole grand concept for it, and it sounded like it was going to be so fucking cool
2: sounds like it never left the earth
1: though it did not he eventually like things kept getting pushed back delayed and eventually he moved on to other projects and i don't blame him for that yeah uh it's still recently they talked about revisiting that idea but i don't know if it's ever going to happen
2: i mean even if they don't do it entirely book form is always a good way to do it
1: yeah that's true
2: but the fans use their imagination <laughs>
1: um but i agree with you i definitely wouldn't i would never try to remake alien no, like don't <laughs> so many people have expanded it and continue to expand it like it's it's still people are there fox is still talking about making new stuff now that it's owned by disney like it's all gonna go directly to hulu i guess yeah but
2: oh yeah the xenomorph is a, uh, the queen xenomorph is a disney princess no. Look, I think no. that's great. Just we... because
1: Disney owns things doesn't make Look, them fucking Disney princesses. Look,
2: we need evil representation on our side. I need dark and spooky queens in the Disney world. All I got is <sighs> Ursula and the evil queen. Give me the xenomorph queen for God's sakes.
1: Just just fucking kill me.
2: <laughs> Would you like a xenomorph to do it?
1: Yes, please. <laughs> I mean, we already said this at the very beginning of this episode. This is a mainstream film. It's, I, I can't call this exploitation. No. I can't do it. This is
2: 100% mainstream. But this is a movie that I believe, if Grindhouse Theater still existed, this would be on there. Yeah. It is campy. It is that grungy... <sighs> 1970s feel of a movie just like I think Star Wars A New Hope would be in the same grindhouse theaters. Uh because they're not movies of today. Think about the generation we're dealing uh, with now.
1: I guess. I mean it's hard to say what would what would have ended up in grindhouse theaters now because any horror really any, any grungy horror
2: 70s 80s horror 90s would be in,
1: horror like yeah all that stuff would have would be in there even probably some modern lower budget horrors
2: drag me to hell I could uh, see drag honestly maybe. I could see drag me to hell or like paranormal
1: activities all of the
2: paranormal activities
1: (laughs) it's tough because grindhouse theaters were they were just like whatever they could get their hands on they were going to play honestly so
2: it's tough to get your hands on film today at real tangible movies in your hands it's tough yeah like streaming services are gods now like
1: and it sucks because
2: i would love to go to the theater and not spend 45 dollars for us to go see a film oh my
1: god awful.
2: That is including if the two of us wanted to just one drink. I think the last time we got a drink for a film, it was like 9 or $10 for that drink.
1: Yeah. <sighs> it makes me sad.
2: Hey, we still have access to film, though. It
1: also makes me sad that we're never going to see an alien or a predator go to a theater again. Like, they, Disney has decided that it's 20th Century Fox properties we'll are always go to streaming. We're going directly to Hulu. Why? So, you know what the solve
2: to that is? We eventually build our own home theater.
3: Uh,
2: Look, if we can't go to the theaters to see this shit, we'll bring the theaters it's not to the us. Same. Look, bitch, I'm trying to compromise <laughs> with you. Accept <laughs> the compromise.
1: Oh. Is there anything else you would like to say about Alien?
2: I've always wanted to pet a xenomorph. I've always wanted to rub my hand along its phallic head and be like, good puppy. Because I used to ride the MGM Studios ride, the great movie uh, caper or whatever the fuck it was called. It's gone now. Wasn't
1: it the great movie ride?
2: The great movie ride, yes. <laughs> that scene where she's running around with the flamethrower or the gun. And the vent with the vents and the, the things going burr, 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 and the steam vents are going off that's one of the things you go through and let me tell you leah would look like this ears in her fingers in her ears something covering her head terrified <laughs> because seeing that scene in person seeing it on screen yeah, it was scary but being in that scene with the alien coming down and through the side and then you see ripley freaking out and you see jonesy in the cage Man, it's a awesome. whole different kind of shit that comes out of your asshole when you shit yourself. <laughs> Scaredy poops are very different, and let me tell you, when they were doing, when Universal Studios was showing the, like the ideas and the concept for Islands of Adventure, and they had an animatronic Velociraptor. Now, it was just the top of the Velociraptor. It was not like the uh, waist down. It was the arms and it was the head. I remember distinctly being in this white room and they were like, okay, we're going to show you guys what the Velociraptors, what we're working on for the animatronics. They were like, please don't panic and don't run. It's not real. It came out, it came over my, sho- my left shoulder and just this and hissed and then looked at me slowly. There was poop. There was poop, there was pee, and there was crying. I was 14 years old. <laughs> I was terrified. There is a difference between seeing it on screen and being scared and that being right there. And you're like, this terrified me at eight years old. And now I'm 14. You know, oh, I'm a tough teenager. i am no, no tough teenager. I was a scared little bitch. <laughs> and the guy was like, it is fake. You can touch it. Like and you, and they allowed you to kind of like touch it and stuff, you know, before COVID when you could do anything you wanted. Um, but holy hell xenomorph fucking velociraptors seeing them in person
3: so very different
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've always wanted Disney now that Disney owns all these crazy properties and they're going into the Marvel territory and Marvel's making like a comeback in like Disneyland at the moment and you know Star Wars land is a thing can you Disney make an area for people that love horror movies that you own Bring back Alien Encounters.
1: Yeah, I doubt it.
2: Oh my God. Did you? I don't think you've ever been to Disney, correct?
1: Yeah, I've been to Disney. Did Twice. you?
2: Did you go to Alien Encounters?
1: I think so. I don't remember.
2: It's a circular room. It's three levels. And it's a tube with what looked like a xenomorph in the center.
1: Oh, no, no. That's uh That, that stitches escape. got turned into a stitch by the time I went.
2: So I was there for Alien Encounters. I wrote it once. And. I describe it like alien. I would say I would describe it as alien aliens, not alien. You are strapped into this chair, and there's speakers everywhere. Mm. And you can hear it, the floor vibrates, so you can feel it run past you, you feel it breathing on you. At one point, it says, and while you're walking, it's like, someone will be chosen to be like an example and you will scream like more it was or less you, like wasn't an, it? Oh, <laughs> it the it jumps on you and you can feel the pressure onto your shoulders and it's digging into you and it's breathing and it's screaming at you. And I screamed so loud. My dad said, i he's like, I feel like you ruptured my eardrum. You screamed so loud. <laughs> but people were like, dude, that scream was awesome. Is that part of the ride? I'm like, no, that was me. Sorry, guys. But it's, it's like. The terror that these things inflict. Yeah. If this actually exists out in the universe, fuck us. (laughs) (laughs) Holy hell. And this came from someone's mind. This dude, this thing came from somebody's brain. Yeah. (sighs) This movie is a favorite because of the sheer terror it still brings me. And this movie is. 79 so like 40 something years old 43 I don't know
1: I think it's one of those films that's never gonna lose it's luster
2: yeah you know a little kid walks up to you and says oh what do you think space is like put this in put this in that. that. that's what space (laughs) is like what about you do you uh, do you have any final thoughts on this wonderful film
1: uh, just that I think, I think this movie was just the perfect storm. It was one of those ones where the perfect director, the the perfect art designers came together, like mashing uh, Giger's designs for the alien stuff, and I forget the name of the designer that did all the ships and everything, but like mm. his style was like very realistic and like of what you could expect from space flight in the future yeah and then like having those two things converge with the perfect cast and yeah. crew like everything was just so perfectly put together and that i feel like that happens so rarely now like a lot of the things we get now i, I can't say that about
2: what's the last most recent perfect storm movie you can think
1: of? i don't think i have an answer for that
2: Candyman, in my mind
1: Like the new the newer
2: Candyman was really good. That's that maybe Maybe the Joker. But even those ones aren't completely perfect.
1: No, like I can't I don't think I it would take a a while for me to like just pinpoint something that could be considered a perfect storm, but I don't know, like, it it happens so rarely. Like, most of the time, it's like, oh, this could have been better. Oh, that could have been better. Yeah,
2: we we say that a lot with movies. Like, there's not a movie, like, from, I would say, this decade. Like, even as much as I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy, there are things that could have been better. There really are. Star Wars. Even the original trilogy. Oh, God, there's so much that could have been better. But those aren't perfect storm movies either. No. This movie really was a perfect storm. And obviously on $11 million and then it blew itself out of the water making $184 million? Apparently other people thought so. And $184 million in 1979? That's a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Actually, I want to know how much that money that is. Let's see. That's close to a billion dollars.
1: Jesus it's, Christ.
2: It's $755 million now. Whew. Damn. This movie was a colossal fucking hit for them
1: yeah and it remains one today yep but i think that is gonna bring our discussion on alien to an end don't go anywhere just yet please stay tuned for the coming attractions
3: you have to kill to survive. On the streets of New York, the choice is the same. For the exterminator. search is on the police are chasing a killer who's not only smarter than they are he's doing their job that's what it's like to be a victim the exterminator Man,
1: they pushed too far. Well, next week we're getting exterminated.
2: So, this is this is a this is a vigilante action film. I know nothing about this film.
1: Yeah, this is this is one of those ones. This is like we're we're stepping into quintessential grindhouse, grindhouse territory. Exploitation this, at its finest.
2: Is this a red letter media mo- movie? Did they shit on this? I believe
1: they did this one on red letter media media like early on.
2: Very early. Okay. Yeah.
1: I, I think they did it. This is it stars Robert Ginty, who's like one of their constant uh actors who pops up.
2: Mm-hmm. Trying he, to see what else he's, he's done. Not on a great oh, <laughs> he's not a great actor.
1: He's in a lot of really shitty movies.
2: So this is where we're really getting into the nitty gritty of the grindhouse bullshit. Uh, I
1: think so. I think this is definitely gonna be one that kind of showcases you what grindhouse is. What exploitation is.
2: Oh, boy, kids. Strap in. This is going to be... Is that a flamethrower? Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) All right, let's do this.
1: All right, everybody. If you want to keep up on everything that we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're on Twitter at GrindhouseCast. You can find us on Discord, where you can chat with Leah about this film or any of the films that we previously covered. You can suggest us some movies. We would love to For people to kind of give us some ideas of stuff that... We should or could cover. Mm. All the links for everything are going to be down in the show notes. Listen to us first thing every Monday morning. Give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your morning fix. If you like what we're doing and you want to show this show some support, you can subscribe to us on Patreon or directly through ACast, where you can get yourself access to ad free listening or unlock some fun, exclusive bonus content that we are slowly putting out there. We're trying to get more done for you guys (laughs) this stuff is just for our supporters yep um they won't all be direct discussions on movies some of them are just going to be us shooting the shit about different topics
2: and don't y'all love it when we shoot the shit
1: (laughs) but please check those out we appreciate any support that we can get yeah until next week i'm sean and i'm leah thanks for listening and keep watching
0: film. It is definitely not
3: recommended for the squeamish.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more